Hello, welcome to the Cities on the Frontline Urban Exchange Podcast. I'm Lauren Sorkin, Executive Director of the Resilient Cities Network. Together with Smart Cities World, we've created this space for city leaders and urban practitioners to share the opportunities and challenges they are grappling with as they drive transformative change in cities today. I would like to thank our sponsor, the World Bank, and you for joining us on the Urban Exchange Podcast, the premier urban resilience podcast taking us around the world to meet people working on the front line. I will now hand you over to our host for this episode. Welcome, my name is Mike Lake. I'm the president and CEO of Leading Cities and a proud member of the Smart Cities World Advisory Board. And I'm just bursting with enthusiasm and optimism as we gather here in Barcelona with over 27,000 practitioners in the smart city space. Just imagine being surrounded by thousands of people who truly believe that there is no problem we cannot solve, who are dedicating their lives and careers to making a difference in communities across the world. In this special episode of Cities on the Frontline, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by none other than Genesis Stavino, the chief of staff to the city manager for Dallas, Texas. Now, Genesis, I know from my own time in the White House the critical role a chief of staff plays in the day-to-day and long-term visioning of an administration. If the city manager is the driver, you're really the vehicle by which action happens. So to get us started, can you share a, a kind of a peek behind the curtain of what it is like to be the chief of staff for a city and how you see yourself as an agent of change for greater civic collaboration toward making Dallas more resilient. Yeah, and thank you for having me, Mike. It's great to be here. Um, So chief of staff, I think, like you said, you can relate. Um, I used this analogy yesterday and everyone was like, oh, okay, I totally understand it. I see it as a junk drawer type of position, (laughs) Um, full cram, full of very useful things that goes nowhere else in the kitchen or uh, the, the the side room or the mud room that you have. But again, very useful things, right? And so if you look at my portfolio, so I oversee the Mayor City Council office in terms of ab- administration and operations. I also oversee the city manager's office, uh, same thing, administration and operations. And then you look at strategic initiatives that I oversee, Resilient Dallas Strategy, Smart Cities Dallas Roadmap, Broadband and Digital Equity Strategic Plan, and now our uh, Strategic Engagement and Partnership Plan. So it's really, right, like everything under the sun. I, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure your days are longer than mine. <laughs> you know, and some days are, some days aren't. Um, and I, I think, you know, when I think about being a catalyst for change, I think about my access, right? Um, yeah. A lot of people talk about how difficult it is to even get a word into the city manager or the executive team. And I have that ear and I am truly, I acknowledge that privilege and my ability to be able to talk directly to the city manager. Um, Sometimes I don't like that privilege. We sit next to each other (laughs) with a door, like we have a a Jack and Jill door between us. And sometimes I'm like, I'm gonna keep this door shut for the rest of the day. (laughs) Like (laughs) You are not allowed to come through. But I think um, there are things that, you know, of all the million things that he has to do to run the city, um, there's things that he just is in front of mind, but does become front of mind for me. And so using me and along with the other executive uh, team members as filters for that, right? And Mm -hmm. be able to manage those things that he does, he's able to so you know having the ear of the city manager but also being accessible to the rest of the organization and also to external partners is really key Um, and so I see my role as that 
um, as being that enabler and also being able to address some of the issues that just pop up in general. Well, as I said, it's a, such a critical role for any city, <laughs> any government. Um, bring us back to the Smart City Expo. We're, we're now in the final days of the expo, and, and you have been participating, of course, in many conversations throughout this remarkable event. What do you think is, is unique about the dialogue that's happening here every year? And, and how do you think you and your peers can really take learnings back home to adapt and adopt for local use? Yeah, I mean, I think the unique part about this conference is that you have all sectors represented here. And I was in a roundtable yesterday led by U.S. Ignite, and Lee Davenport said something like, this is the only time I will probably ever get this many people from this many different sectors in the same room to have this actual conversation that we're having, right? About your same thing about what you're asking about, like, what are those enabling things that really make this work? And so for us, it's that it's like the main project that we are highlighting here at uh, the expo is our convention center. So it's going to be a complete rebuild of the existing convention mm. center, state of the art, right? Integrating multimodal transportation. We're looking at high speed rail, commuter rail, um, and then including our our bus system. Um, so everything under the sun. And how do we build it so it's a, f a building for the future? And yeah. considering, you know, integrating all of the issues that we think about climate change, um, work, uh, workforce development, those types of issues, and the fact that we can come to this expo and learn what are all of our global partners doing is really important for us. Because I think sometimes what we end up doing is like, oh, we'll just stay in the United States <laughs> and learn from other cities in the United States. And that's not always like the best. So we did a high speed rail tour here while we were here. Um, and it, it's taken them 30 years, right? At least the lines that we viewed, uh, I think it was the, we were at Bar, um, Barcelona Sands station. And for us, it's like, oh my gosh, we hope that it doesn't take us that long, but the reality is there, we have had a rail system, I wanna say for at least 30 years, but it's not as advanced as what we see here. Yeah. And we, we were talking earlier about cost um, mm -hmm. The cost to do the entire system for Adif and um, the, the high-speed rail system in Spain is a fraction of what it's going to cost us in in Texas to just build from Houston to Dallas. And you're like, blows my mind, right? And then we were we were also privy to like the, the the financing structure of like where does the state, where does the country, where does the city come in in terms of funding? And we're like. That's so novel. <laughs> like it's something we would we could never fathom in the United States, right? So it's just the ability to see those things firsthand and know that this works, right? And it's just a matter of our city, our country catching up. Yes. Um, and so people have done it, and we're like, well, you know, this can happen, and it's not such a far-fetched idea. So that's one of the most brilliant things I think about the expo is that we see technology does work. We see these advancements; they do work. And we have test cases that we can take back and say, okay, we know and being able to mold it just for Dallas is also key for us. Well, in just listening to you in, in just these couple examples, <laughs> in convention center, high-speed rail, digital equity, and it, I mean, the, the reality of being a chief of staff is is that you have to you have a finger in every pie, yeah. as you say. <clears throat> Much to staff chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you how do you um, balance the day to day? You know, making sure the streets are sweeped and the garbage is yeah. picked up, and with these long term visions 
of, of what, in your case, Dallas can yeah. be 10 years, 20 years from now. Yeah, I mean, I think it requires a team, right? And we were actually having this discussion um, with the team that came with me. It's like, okay, there are the people that we know need to focus on the day-to-day issues, and then there are the, the people like us at the executive, executive level that need to be thinking strategically about, okay, we're doing this activity today, but how does it address some of the inequities or the issues that we, mm-hmm. we have known and will potentially see down the road. It's be, having that forward thinking uh, mindset, but also that drive to like address issues today is really important. And I, I don't think it, um, so I talk about this with resilience principles too, right? It's not just one person's job. It, you have to be able to integrate that across the organization and everybody else has to have that forward thinking um, mindset, but then also that, that sense of urgency to address things today and now. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Dallas, I know, has had digital equity as one of its top resilience priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you view digital resilience in your work, and, and how has that digital equity and accessibility taken shape in Dallas? Yeah, I mean, you think about we have the largest um, telecom provider in the country in our backyard, right? Their mm-hmm. global headquarters is in our backyard, and yet we are one of the least connected urban cities in mm-hmm. the country. Um, and I think there was a report uh, that looked at digital redlining in Dallas, right? And it's like all of the areas that have been consistently disinvested, you also see show up in this redlining or this digital redlining map. And so for us, addressing digital equity um, and digitalization in Dallas um, goes hand in hand with a lot of the equity efforts that we have going on, right? So. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not just seeing like technology or using computers as an additive factor in somebody's, in addressing somebody's socioeconomic status, but it's that enabling uh, piece right. that helps that, you know, we're, we're a global and technological world, right? I, we, we use technology in everything we do, and there are going to be segments of the population that are left behind if we don't prioritize. How do we get them online? How do we make sure they're banked, right? How do we make sure that they know how to use the internet? And so I think, you know, digital equity, our digital equity efforts looks at that from every single aspect. We, we, we have personas of like, okay, you know, this person from this neighborhood, what does that mean for them to be online? Or what does it mean for them to have digital literacy skills? And we know what are their barriers. And so how can being online or um, digital skills help them address those barriers? Mm -hmm. Then also recognizing that we as an organization also don't have the full capacity in terms of infrastructure to support that. And so essentially building the plane as you fly it, right? And so learning as we go and getting feedback from our community providers of, Yes, okay, so they want digital literacy 101, but some people are also further down the spectrum of, you know, ability, and they want that next step to help them um, excel, right, and go to the next step of their career or whatever that is. How can we as the city support that? Because then that, that feeds into economic development, feeds into workforce development, and then overall quality life in our community. You know, like any change, right, mm-hmm. this digitalization process that we're going through globally, mm-hmm. um, you know, it there's a transition period. And, and I think that's what we're really talking about yeah. is how do we get everybody to kind of yeah. cross that bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, as part of uh, looking at digitalization in, in general in the U.S., um, what do you see as that, that scope and, and that journey 
and, and how do you see that playing out, um, both for the U.S. in general, but more specifically to Dallas? Yeah, I think in Dallas, it's recognizing that um, government does have a role to play in bridging the digital divide, right? Um, right? It's always There's always been this perspective that it's not our job, it's not, government shouldn't be doing that because we've treated the internet as a luxury item and not as a utility like we do water, right? Sewer, mm -hmm. um, all the things that are required for quality of life. I think that mindset is shifting now, or at least, you know, it's the, the shift has accelerated because of COVID-19, because we saw what happened when we were all, you know, had stay at home orders, right? Mm -hmm. um, and now people are no longer accepting that, that, that mindset of, oh no, that's not government's role to support, you know, address those inequities. So I think about how Dallas is investing in infrastructure. We've never done that. We barely even own 10 miles of fiber in the entire city, 385 square miles, right? And wow. we as an organization don't own and um, barely own any fiber infrastructure. So when you think about on our side, what does that mean for uh, stability? and looking ahead in the future, it's our cost for data um, transfer, right? Um, is going to increase. Also, as we become more of a smart city, we need more um, more of that fiber across the entire. Yeah. Exactly, and so how then are we um, supporting our infrastructure if we're gonna continue to rely on the private sector? Right? And then we think about um, on the flip side of uh, the human-centered approach, if we don't build the infrastructure, then the private sector is not going to come in and build that last mile that gets internet to the homes, right? Because they're in there, they're going to continue to see it as um, profitable for right. them. And so for them, why would they expend the capital, you know, needed in order to put fiber in the ground if they're not going to be able to make that back and charge a lot of money for internet subscriptions? I mean, I recently had staff do an analysis. The to get true high speed internet in Dallas, it's about $180 a month. Mm. This is like ridiculous, right? Yeah. And then the most basic level internet is about $60. But that's all dependent on whether or not you have fiber in your neighborhood. And we know the neighborhoods that really need it don't have the fiber. And so that's where we come in and thinking about what is our role? How do we become enablers as government and treat internet differently? You know, it, you're, you're right about COVID. It, it really kind of put a spotlight on the, on the digital divide. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing the stories of, you know, children trying to attend classes yeah. and the whole family sharing one smartphone mm -hmm. and, you know, one child at a time could join their classroom and, and, and this is all over. Not, I'm not specifically right. speaking of Dallas. Um, so it is, I want to be just clear, it, it's not your intention to actually own more fiber, it's just to regulate it a little bit more or is that, how, no. how do you see well, that happening? No, well, so um, it's not necessarily that um, we want to regulate it. I think we want to create the infrastructure so that the private sector can come in and be able to leverage that, right? So we don't genuinely have to own the fiber, but we want to make sure that the infrastructure is in place. So. Right now, we actually have an open solicitation on building out our middle mile, which is that enabling factor between the city facilities and um, to our backhaul. And but also we're asking them, what does that last mile look like so that you can connect from the middle mile to homes mm -hmm. um, and get homes connected? And we're asking also for innovative approaches for partnership, right? Because we only have so much money to build out this uh, fiber network. And we know down the road that's not going to be enough. 
And so what is that innovative approach to whether it's a public-private partnership or it's, um, you know, the city owns it, we lease it to someone, what, the, what does that look like? And so we're open to that. And genuinely, we've been saying we don't, we never, ever want to be an internet service provider as a yeah. government, right? I think that's one thing where we know what our role as government is. Um, we already have a few things that we're not great at. We don't want to <laughs> add being an internet service provider to that. And there are industries dedicated to that that we don't need to get into. But um, so, yeah, so I think about, you know, um, it's not about regulating or really owning. It's just being a enabler in terms of making sure the infrastructure is there. And, and, and so what we're really talking about is making sure everybody is, you know, along for the ride yes. for this journey. Mm -hmm. um, in, in, in your work to make sure that's the case, what groups have, have been allies for you and the city and, and, and kind of mapping out and identifying those who have not been mm -hmm. included at this point? And, and how are you building that digital literacy in vulnerable groups? Yeah, so I mean, I would say our biggest uh, supporter and is our library. They've actually mm. been doing digital literacy training um, much, much earlier than the pandemic. And now they've been able to ramp it up and a lot of the money that we've received has allowed them to buy laptops and hotspots that they can then loan out which is not something they've been able to do, but they've been doing classes long before um, COVID, right? Um, so our library, obviously, we have a branch in almost every district, and so being able to reach community members. Um, and of course, our nonprofit partners. Um, so we contracted out with a local nonprofit to do the delivery of our digital navigators program. And they're, I mean, obviously, they have the breadth and scope to be in our neighborhoods that we can't. Um, and they know the community members as well. And so we rely on trusted community partners to be able to deliver that service and then also get the feedback and have those really real conversations with community mm. members about what they need. And like I was saying earlier, like you may not need Digital Literacy 101. You might need something further, you know, more advanced um, based off of what you, what you do in life, right? Whether you're a right. student or you're an entrepreneur, we should be able to meet you where you are. And so that's the type of feedback that our um, digital navigators are able to bring back. And how do we retool uh, the, 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 the program offering so that we can meet them where they are. And then also, I mean, we do a lot of work of explaining to people why the internet is important, right? And why you need a real hardwired connection versus the internet on your phone. So your community support is critical and being able to address any question that they have is really critical and knowing where they're coming from, really getting to the root of their issue is important as well. You know, we always say that facts are just the details of life. Mm -hmm. Perception is reality. Yes, exactly. And, and it is so true. And, and if you have that perceived fear, it becomes a roadblock for mm -hmm. sure. Of course, there, there are real risks also involved in, in digitalization. Yes. Um, so, from the from the data handling side, cybersecurity, mm -hmm. privacy. I mean, there's there's a number of these issues. What what have been some that have come up in the work you've been doing in Dallas, and 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 how are they resolved or you know yeah. moved beyond? <laughs> That's funny you ask that. So um, we recently at the city of Dallas as an organization just went through a ransomware attack, right? Mm. Um, crippled our entire system. Um, I think we're still recovering from it. Um, and unfortunately, Dallas County just recently got hit by the same ransom attack. Um, but and, and I, I just want for our listeners who might not know, something like over seventy percent of ransomware attacks are 
targeting state and local governments. Yeah. I mean, it is not just Dallas. No, not right? at all. And, you know, it's funny because, like, people who are uh, or colleagues in the Resilient Cities Network or um, International City County Management Association have reached out like, yeah, that happened to us, right? Like, hey, what do you, how, we can relate, what do you need kind of thing. That's like, right. That's crazy because you think about, you know, what they're doing um, and it, truly it is attacking, you know, uh, uh, state and local governments. And so for us, it's um, going back to our messaging and so we did a lot of you know here's what's happening getting the crisis communication essentially but when we talk about security in terms of digitalization you know dallas developed a uh it's called dallas secure app and it's actually for dallas residents to mm. put on their phone on their computer that actually um runs in the background and checks for you know malware that kind of stuff um and it's free and so we do proactive things like that, right, to support safety and um, make sure people are well aware of, like, how do you protect your information? But then also when we talk about what um, what our digital navigators are doing, it's also talking about safety of being online, whether that's protecting your information or protecting your family when they do go sure. online, right? So there's so many different aspects of that safety and security when you go online. Um, then it's also like balancing that what, sh what should government's mes messaging be about safety and security um, and what is the public's role? What is your own personal um, responsibility when it comes to safeguarding your security and your data? So, yeah, I mean, when we talk about security and safety, it's like it's that it's everybody's work mm -hmm. um, and, and completely recognizing right where you are, where government is and then where nonprofits are, where is the private sector. And one other aspect I think about a lot is transparency. Um, yeah. So as we evolve and put more smart city technology out there, um, a few cities are doing this and it's really great. So I, I just found out la yesterday, like Long Beach does this. There's a city in Canada, um, north of Toronto, I think it's Innisfil. But so they'll have like these smart street lights, right? Or any sure. like kiosk, whatever it is. There's a QR code um, that they have on these uh, the this infrastructure. People can scan it and it'll take you to like this fax website and it tells you what do I do with your data? Why is this here? All of this information. Oh, I'm like, I've, I never would have thought of that because I would, I too look at these. I don't know if you're familiar with these kiosks, these digital oh, kiosks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they're big monoliths that just like sometimes don't even work, but it captures your information, right? Sure. And so like people are like, what the heck is this? Where is all my information going? But if you can be transparent about that at the outset, that's right. Then you have. Then you're like, oh, okay. People are like, oh, okay. I know what this what this does, right? Moves As from a, perception to fact. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right way to say it or the right thing to say, but like controlling the narrative so that it doesn't get away from you as whether you're a nonprofit or you as local government as you deploy these types of technology. And, and not so much controlling it, but it is. It's just making it available. Yeah. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing because in the absence of that message exactly. people will create their own exactly. and they assume the worst yeah. <laughs> you know the, the issue here of, of cybersecurity is something that I'm passionate about and through the G20 Global Smart City Alliance and the World Economic mm -hmm. Forum I've chaired the uh, cyber resilience task force yeah. to develop model policies for cities and uh, you know it's it was interesting to me when we started this process we we intended to do a model policy for cyber resilience mm -hmm. As I was speaking to, to CISOs particularly um, uh, in cities around the world, one thing came up a lot, and it was the fact that 
The CISO was a fairly new role. Yeah. And it became a line item in the payroll, you know, and, and a job title on a business mm -hmm. card. But it wasn't truly integrated into the governance structure of the city. And in the end, many of them felt that they had all the responsibility for the cybersecurity of their yeah. city, but none of the authority. Right, right. How does how do you see that playing out? Not necessarily in Dallas yeah. specifically, but just generally, because it is a critical role. Mm -hmm. And if it's not elevated to that cabinet level type yeah. position, or at least with access or veto authority or mm -hmm. whatever it might be, there's really no way uh, to control it from the CISO's point of view, control the security. And of course, we're seeing, to your point earlier, you know, with IoT devices and I mean, the, the vulnerabilities that cities are, mm -hmm. are being exposed to are real. Yeah. But you, you can't stop it because that stops the progress, yeah. you know. Yeah. So how do you see this playing out? Yeah. I, so I liken the role of a CISO to kind of what happened or what chief resilience officers experience across the country or as you know 100 resilient cities and then all these cities that are trying to bring in their own CROs right you have like you said all the responsibility but you no know authority mm -hmm. and for me the way that we got around that at least in Dallas and I got around it but like really addressed it head-on was our executive leadership recognized you know they had to be they had to be the ones advocating for this CISO role and same with the CRO role and talking about how that their work is across the entire organization. And so everything that like, let's say our, um, our, our sanitation department does, anything related to digitalization, the CISO has a role in that. And it's not just, right? It's they, right. they are there for the entire organization and not just for the IT department that they like, will likely be sitting in, right? So, um, and I think, you know, demonstrating the value of the work and like um, actual tangible deliverables helps in saying, okay, yeah, here's what your CISO actually does and here's how they show up in the organization. And then when people are like, oh, that's a, that's a position that can be cut. It's like, no, actually you can't because mm -hmm. look at the integration and intersectionality across the entire organization. And, you know, we've used the same tactic with CRO. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and so actually our C um, CISO uh, position is also relatively new in Dallas. But, I mean, with our ransomware and all the things that we've been having, they're like, you are a critical part of the That's team. Yeah. yeah, but it doesn't, you know, what we don't want to happen, though, is that it takes a ransomware attack for organizations to realize, oh, a CISO is important or we should add a CISO to our team. I think as you think about how you digitalize or you go into e-government, it's like they should be there from the beginning, right? And so, you know, one of the ways that we also um, operationalize the work of our CISO is, you know, we have an IT governance team. Um, and so you can't deploy something without them having been at the table um, from the beginning. Um, and so it's just the way that we operate and the way we do business that they're already integrated across the organization. Well, I know we've focused a lot on digitalization and, 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 and you know, the, crossing the digital divide or bridging that. But obviously, Dallas, like everywhere else, has a whole plethora of, of issues to be dealing with. Are there any other major priorities that, that you have? And, you know, knowing that the part of the audience here is, is wondering what the solutions are, too. Mm. So are there any of the priorities that you've had that you now feel like you've overcome and what those solutions Gosh. were? I don't think that we've overcome anything yet. Well, it's an um, ongoing process. Yeah, it's yeah, a no. continuous, right? Um, and I always say too, like our resilient Dallas strategy is 
says like 77% complete and we'll never get to 100% complete because some of the things we work on is continuous and it's ongoing Absolutely. and we'll never, unfortunately, we will not solve poverty, right? At least in my, I hope it does happen in my generation, but that's something ongoing. Um, but the one thing I think about in, you know, I know who, our audience, at least here in the expo is like technology based, right? Mm -hmm. Does every problem need a technology solution has been my thing is like, what, at what point do we go back to the basics um, of addressing some of our longstanding issues, some of our stressors in our communities? Um, but for like, so when we think about priorities and what are those solutions, I mean, I'll use like engagement, right? With community sure. engagement and outreach right now is a big thing for us in Dallas. Um, and I've actually had so many people like, preview want to preview their demo of here's how i can build engagement in your your city right like okay but you're an app and you're online and my biggest issue is digital divide so how am i going to bridge the digital or like right. build community engagement and partnership if it requires them to be online so it's like for me some you know i think about our vendor our um tech community it's like if you're going to pitch to cities like recognize what their challenges are and meet them where they are, right? Yeah. And be honest that your technology is not going to solve everything and be real about what you can address and then what you don't address as well. Because I sometimes I'm like, yeah, you're selling to me, but I already know at the back of my head where the gaps are, right? And then also get to know the cities that you're pitching to. Um, but, you know, for us, solutions, I think, is going obviously going to need money for a lot of things sure. um but i think recognizing that you know some of our the solutions that we need are um it shouldn't just address one thing but um so like i think about our smart street lights um sure. it's not just a street light we have mm -hmm. multifunction devices on it right so we have like air quality monitors we have a uh, gunshot detection and then now we have wi-fi so that just address public safety right environmental quality and the digital divide all in one device right so it shouldn't just be just one thing that it can um address so that's how i think about like you know our priorities coming up and then what what solutions there are or what solutions can be um brought forward to address some of our priorities it can't just be one solved for one thing well i think that's a perfect note <laughs> to end on because it's like these challenges continue yeah. there will be new challenges tomorrow mm -hmm. Uh, the effort never uh, slows down. <laughs> um, and the, But the truth is, there's a lot of uh, thankless work that goes on behind the scenes. So let me take a moment to thank you <laughs> thank and your you. team <laughs> for all the amazing work you're doing in Dallas. I mean, bridging the digital divide, as we've talked a lot about, is an absolute critical need mm -hmm. for every member of the community. And I say to folks, you know, we often use that expression, you know, a rising tide lifts yeah. all boats. But what happens if you're not standing in a, a boat, right? Oh. It, it, mm -hmm. So the, the reality is uh, a lot of effort has to go into making yes. sure this transition period yep. um, that nobody's left behind. Yep. And um, uh, just congratulations on the work that thank you're doing. You. And thank you for, for joining us <laughs> on this course. episode of uh, uh, Cities on the Frontline. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. <laughs> thank you, Genesis. It's been great having you. Thank you. Every year, more than a million people read Smart Cities World and 40,000 members gain access to special reports and content. 
Members include officials from more than 2,000 cities, with new members signing up every single week. Our Urban Exchange podcast takes us around the world to meet people working on the front line. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a thing. We'll catch you next time.